How many of you like watching movies, a good movie, a good drama of some sort? Those, a drama kind of has, and if you get sucked into a movie, my, my kids don't like watching movies with me generally because I can figure them out pretty quickly. I kind of go, oh, you know what, that was the guy who did the killing. That's just not, he's, he's, he's going to be the guy. He's the one. And they're like, how do you know this? Lindsay in particular has had. We also used to do some things with, with the kids when they were young. I would, uh, we'd go through a scene, and, and as soon as the scene was done and we moved on, I'd ask them what time it was. And they'd look at the clock. I'm like, no, 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 what time was it in the movie? Because they didn't see a clock in the background. I like to observe that kind of stuff. So a good movie starts out with some kind of an introduction, a bit of a setup. You kind of get to know the family or you get to know the scenario. You, you kind of watch the movie and you think, well, this is how it's supposed to go if everything unfolds right. And then we know that uh, a good writer will introduce some kind of a crisis or some kind of a plot shortly into the, the movie. And now you now you got to hang on because you're not really sure how this is going to unwind. And, and if you uh, somehow, somewhere along the line, I did some reading about movies and how they're written. I, I have a hard time writing my name, let alone a movie. But I, I did some reading and there should be an odd number of plots that unfold in the middle of every movie either three or five plots you don't want too many because then things get but you know if you watch a good movie as this thing is beginning to unfold you get so engrossed in this section of the movie over here and all of a sudden they switch gears and you go man I almost forgot about Bob and John over there I forgot about that problem that they were having and then you get sucked into their problem and you realize oh I forgot about Mike and Sally over here and man did the dog die I mean what what happened over here Kind of that's the way movies unfold, right? It's kind of the way they unfold. A good movie that sucks you in. It's got several plot lines going on at the same time. And then we wait for the end, and there's a hero that's going to show up somewhere along the way, and he's going to get the car out of the ditch, and he's going to save the dog, and she's going to do that. And there's this hero that's going to come along, and then there's going to be resolve to the end of the movie. It's all going to wrap up, and you go, man, I, I knew it. I knew it. I didn't, well, I didn't know, but I knew it. I knew that was going to happen. That fills us. We go and we watch movies like that. Well, I think Scripture's kind of written that same way. Way too often, we look at Scripture in little bits and pieces. And for those of you who've picked up the Immerse Bible, um, again, we have a few of them left over out there. What this Bible has, what the writers of this Bible have chosen to do was to take the letters and the poems and the history of Scripture and write it all out, but not put in any chapters, not put in any verses, not put in any references. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, up until about the early 1500s, um, the Bible didn't have any chapters and verses in it. As a matter of fact, the Bible was written originally on scrolls. And then those scrolls were transcribed. And even the order that we have to the Bible in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, that order was not there previous to the 1500s. Um, typically what would take place was somebody would use the, the transcripts of Scripture and they would grab the portions that kind of fit together. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but in our traditional Bible, um, it's not laid out in order. Paul's writings, Paul writes a, a huge chunk of the New Testament. Paul's writings are actually established in this book, starting with 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, blah, blah. It's, it, they're established actually from the longest book to the shortest book. 
Did you know that? How many of you knew that? It really wasn't, yeah, just a couple of us. I really like that, that only a couple of us knew that. I read it last week. <coughs> but it, that's the way it's, it's not put in order. Uh, the book of Luke, actually, they believe, the writers, many, many uh, theologians believe that Luke and Acts are one book. That they're actually, we find in the Old Testament, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. They were not separated out. They were written as one book and they were divided up. Ezra, Nehemiah, they were, there was four books there that were put together. And as we, we put the Bible together in a way that people could carry it around, you, again, think of it before the printing press, this was not available, right? It wasn't available. And so... Anything that was written had original scrolls and original transcripts, and then a scribe would sit, and he would word for word write it all out, and then that little parchment would get passed around. That's how the Bible was not transportable. Certainly, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they, they did not have cell phones where they could just pull up an app, right? We take all that stuff for granted right now. And we get so flustered. I've had a couple of complaints from people who say, well, you know, you can't do this Bible. It's out of order. Well, who established the order? In the 1500s, somebody put this together and said, this is the order, and this is what we're going to go by. The order is not holy. I just want you to understand that the words are holy. And so um, we're going to look at it in a different way. I read through the first um, week's worth of readings the other day, and it, I just kind of noticed something about, we're reading in the book of Luke, and I just started to notice that every time Jesus was mentioned, there was also emotion with it. Like a lot of emotion with it. And so I thought, I'm going to take and start highlighting this. I'm not telling you you have to do this, but sometimes it's just fun. So you look at, I was ten and a half chapters in to the book of Luke before there were two pages back to back that didn't have someone's emotion in there. I'll give you an example. Um, The Pharisees and the teachers uh, said, who does he think he is, this blasphemer? Um, Peter responds at one point, oh Lord, please leave me, I am such a sinful man. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Uh, It's just over and over again. There's there's just sections where all of a sudden it's just over and over and over again. I've read through my Bible several times. I never picked that up. This is a different way to look at Scripture. We we read through this. Now we're going to be reading through it more more consistent with the way that it was written. It was written as a letter. I've said this over and over again. You would not receive a, a letter from your great uncle or from your aunt or from your mom and you'd go to the mailbox and you'd get that letter and you'd see, man, I got this 10-page letter from, from Aunt Susie. I think I'm going, to, I'm going to open it up and I'm going to start on page 7 about halfway down. Right? Is that how we'd read that letter? Never. Never. You don't know the context. You don't know the text. What? That's just goofy. Right? That's goofy. Now I may go back and go, bear. hey, look at on page 7. Look what Auntie wrote me here. She loves me more than she loves you. See that? She wrote that right here. I might go and show off like that, but that's not how you read it. And yet, that's how we read Scripture. I actually heard a preacher say one time that a lot of preachers uh, read the Scriptures they believe instead of believing the Scriptures that they read. Let that sink in for just a minute. <clears throat> My dad, um, one time, was at my aunt's house, and they were having a discussion, and somehow the, the topic of church came up, and then the topic of the of 
scripture, reading scripture. I, I believe we were doing a, a Bible reading challenge at the time at the church in Hibbing. And my niece was there. And she just was rolling her eyes. She's not my niece, it was my cousin. She's just rolling her eyes. She couldn't believe that my dad was wasting his time reading the Bible. She looks at my dad, and I wasn't there, but he, he told me the story. She looks at him at one point and she says, you do realize that Jesus didn't write the Bible, right? And he's like, yeah, I, I know that. And she said, well, how can it be true if Jesus didn't write it? That's why I don't read it. And I thought, you know, she was actually raised in church most of her life. She was raised in a denominational church. And Jesus did not write the Bible. Um, men who were following after Jesus, uh, who followed after God, uh, they, they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, their pens wrote these words. And we believe that it's God speaking to us. The Bible is a collection of letters of poems, of stories, prophetic, prophetic visions, prophetic oracles, wisdoms. There's all kinds of writing. And the first step to reading and understanding this book is to read and to understand that that's how it's written. If you want to read the writings of Paul, you have to understand that Paul was a very learned man and he was very intelligent. So when he reads or when he writes, he kind of writes in that way. Peter, on the other hand, was a fisherman. He was not very learned. And so his writing differs from the way that Paul writes. John was Jesus' best, one of his best friends. Uh, he talks a lot about love. Matthew, in the New Testament, uh, he was a, a tax collector. He was kind of a, a, a numbers kind of a guy. And when he wrote, he wrote very, very much about the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. You want to read about the kingdom of God, read through the book of Matthew. He talks, Matthew talks more about it than anybody else. He talks about the So in order to understand Scripture, we have to understand the people who are doing the writing, just a little bit anyhow. Well, the Bible um, naturally kind of falls into six categories. I did a, an Old Testament survey several years ago when I was at the church in Hibbing, and that Old Testament, just a, a cursory view of the Old Testament, took me 57 weeks. So we're not going to do that this morning. But... The, old, the, the Bible itself kind of falls into six natural categories. If you think about the Bible as a play, as a drama, uh, number one, we start out in act number one, is God's intention. I want us to grab a hold of this. God's intention we find in the very first pages of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter one, uh, starting in verse one. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. 6,000 plus years ago or thereabouts, God created the heavens and the earth. He did it. He was already on the scene. We're not sure how he was on the scene. You say, well, what came before God? Nothing came before the beginning, right? What's in the beginning of the beginning? The beginning's the beginning, right? In the beginning, so that's the beginning. We have the beginning of history right here. You say, well, I happen to believe that the earth is billions and billions and billions of years old. Well, there's some science that um, kind of points that direction, but we, we really don't believe that it's good science. We believe you can follow uh, Scripture and science will prove itself out and you'll see that Scripture really does show that we are only, uh, uh, our planet's only about 6,000 years old. During his creation, God makes man and woman. He, he, he creates all the animals. He creates all the plants. He creates everything. He creates day and night. He creates the sun, the moon, the stars, puts it all in place and every time he does, he says it's good. He creates it and says, ah, that's good. That's very good. That's good. Creates all these animals. 
And they're all running around. He's oh, that's that's good. That's really good. Can you imagine? Just just for a second, a world filled with all kinds of animals. We're living in a garden. There's all these animals, and they don't eat any meat. So you get to walk up and pet a tiger. Wouldn't that be cool? Or a bear? <laughs> Sorry. For those of you who don't know, that's his nickname. So um, you, you, you could walk through the garden and we could have perfect fellowship with all these creatures, these things that freak us out so bad now. There's no such thing as a rabid dog. There's no such thing as, a, as an animal that's going to attack you. You could probably even, uh, you, you might even enjoy spiders. I'm not sure. That might still freak some of us out. I've been to Haiti. I put my hand on a wall next to a spider and the spider was bigger than my hand. Like they don't even kill them, they just usher them out the door. I'm thinking we could ride it out the door, you know, you get one just bigger than that. It's a crazy old world that we live in, but God created uh, this, this, this world for us to live in and to enjoy, and, and he created humanity, he created you and I to walk in perfect fellowship with everything around us. He created us to walk in fellowship with him, he created us to walk in fellowship with each other. He created us to, fo- to walk in fellowship with nature around us, with animals. You know, he actually created us to be able to walk in fellowship with ourselves. That might sound just a little odd. But I know that there are people in this room, I know there are people who are watching online who can't stand the, so- the, the thought of being alone in a room when it's just quiet with their own thoughts because life has been so messed up. It's been so broken. Don't don't leave, don't shut the power off, man. Don't leave me alone with my own thoughts. You don't want to do that. We know people like that. And God created us to walk in fellowship. God created us to walk in a fellowship in such a way that there's no tension in the family that there's no tension between brothers and sisters, that there's no tension between moms and children. There's no tension. He created us to walk in fellowship. Not only that, we find as we read through the book of Genesis that God came down to this garden and he walked with Adam. He walked with him. Think about that. Think about that. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day, the Bible says. So I can only imagine at some point God's like, hey, pull up a log. I want to tell you something. Let me tell you how gravity works. You know, let me tell you about physics. Let me tell you about quantum physics. Let me tell you about nuclear energy. Let me tell you about, can you imagine all the things that Adam would have known because God just walked with him and he talked with him. Have you ever just walked with a friend and all the things that come out in a conversation? All the things, you know, we've done a number of funerals in the last year. We've done enough funerals. 2021 had plenty of funerals. The things that I have found out about people after they died is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I had no idea that Bruce Beckman, if Bruce Beckman were to wear his military uniform into a a, um, a military uh, bar or supper club, they would have made a way for him because of the, the... honors that he had. I had no idea that Teddy Wilt was a pastor. His dad was a pastor. Do you know that? How many people knew his dad was a pastor? Two of you. 
I did not. I'm guilty. Huh? There is, his dad did quilting. How many of you knew that? Huh? 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 There I got you. I didn't know that. And he knitted and he crocheted. I didn't know that. God walked in fellowship with Adam. There was nothing that was not open to him. He walked in perfect fellowship with him. And at some point, I believe it's God's desire. I believe it was his original desire to be able to come to this. You know what? He, we miss this. We miss this. We, we miss this. We think that, that, that the whole purpose of becoming a Christian is to go off someday and be in heaven. You know what? I don't think that's what God ever intended. He created the earth for us. I think he's going to renew the earth. I think we're going to have fellowship with him here. There's going to be, it's going to be a different picture. There's going to be a time I think we can be able to move back and forth. But this is where he created this for us. You can almost dance about that. He created this earth for us. to walk, And then he wants to show up on the scene and go, hey, man, how's it going? How's your day going? Man, I got some things I want to tell you. I want you to understand my joy. I want you to understand my peace. He wants to walk with us and have fellowship with us. That's, how he, that's why he created the earth. And then at some point, God's enemy comes along. And this is where the drama begins to be entered. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? How many of you know you're generally in trouble when the first thing you begin to do is question whatever the rules were? Whatever the rules were. Did that sign really say 55? I wonder if it really means like all the time or is that just... I didn't see a sign. I'm not really, in Minnesota. I think I can go 65. And I'm, you know, I, I know it's, it's, it's certainly it's nice enough. I don't, I, you know, we can justify, we can rationalize, but as soon as we begin to question what's going on, we're in trouble. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, "Did God really say that you must not eat from the tree in the garden?" When a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. It was beautiful and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And here's what happened. For the very first time since God created all of creation, his creation, his humanity, his, the people that he, he, he created for fellowship the people that he wanted to walk with and talk with disobeyed him. They disobeyed him. They disobeyed him because the devil tempted him and said, here's what's going to happen. As soon as you eat from that fruit, really, as soon as you, you're going to be just like God. And that was too much for him. They just couldn't take it. It was like, just like God, what do you think? Should we, should we, I mean, should we have a bite? I mean, we're going to be like God. Can you imagine that? And I think humanity, Adam and Eve, had the, had the perfect opportunity. They could have banned the devil right there and said, get out of here. We're going to take the authority that God's given. You get out of here. But they didn't. Okay. Okay, listen. We kind of struggle with this too, you know. When t- temptation comes along, you got a choice. You're watching what's on TV and all of a sudden it's like, whoo, hey, whoo. You have a choice. You can shut it off or you can entertain it, right? 
I, I remember as a kid many times being tempted by my friends, lots of times. You got the choice. Am I going to go along or am I going to stop this thing? Am, am I going to go in? Am I going to be part of this or am I not going to? You grow up. All you got to do is say no. And if they don't like you, too bad. They're probably not really your friends anyhow. Right? Adam and Eve had this same thing. And you look at the pattern here. Was Satan really their friend? You realize that we were created in such a way that we're world changers. I don't know if you believe that or not. Adam and Eve literally changed the course of human history. I believe you and I have that same ability. We can change the course of human history. We can change the course of our life, certainly. We can set the course for our children's lives. We can set the course for people around them. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and it was the introduction of sin into the world. Now, here's the deal. That was 6,000 years ago. You and I do not even know. We can't even begin to comprehend what does a world look like without sin in it. We can't, we can't wrap our brain around that. We just can't. We can hardly imagine what it was like without cell phones. Right? How many of you got, went to leave the house this morning? Last thing you did was check for a Oh, man, my cell phone on the dresser. You, you'll go, you'll walk outside when it's 20 below without hat and, and mittens, but good night, don't leave the cell phone. We can't imagine not being connected in that way, right? You all know that I'm telling the truth. You get in your car and... You get in your car and drive 10 miles from home and you will turn around if you think you don't have your cell phone with you. And then you'll get in the garage and you walk in the house and go, oh man, it was in this pocket. <laughs> man, we, got, we can't imagine life without that. We can't imagine what it's like to walk in perfect fellowship. We can't imagine a world without sin and yet that's how God created it. The devil actually makes a promise to Eve. He said, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like God. And that's where act one comes from. That's this, this setup, the disobedience, Adam and Eve introducing sin into our world. And from that sin comes every act of rebellion, every act of hurt, every act of, of uh, 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 ugly, every act of, of pain. It comes every act of of uh, sickness, disease, all the garbage in our world comes from that one act, that one step of disobedience. Heaven and earth, God, God's realm and our realm, we were intended to walk united. God's desire right from the beginning was clearly to live with us in this world that he created, but now God is hidden from this world. How many of you know you maybe have friends or, or relatives or maybe even yourself for periods of time you walk in, you don't, you don't experience God at all. You don't even know if God is there. Maybe you've even come to the altar at some point and said, I want Jesus in my life, and then you let sin back in your life, and there's that struggle, and you get to the point where you go, I'm just not really even sure if, if God is there. God's always knocking, he's always seeking, he's always looking for us. He always wants relationship with us, but we harden our hearts. We live in a world where there are people all around us. And if you've been part of a church most of your life, you go, I can't imagine what it's like to not go to church or to not be in church. But there are surveys that tell us there are huge sections of our population who've never been inside of a church at all. 
There are, are huge sections who, hey, they've come in, but they've only come in for a wedding or a funeral. And I, I st- stood here at a funeral uh, a few years ago, doing the funeral of a man. And his brother and sister, uh, Steve was very committed to the Lord. He'd been part of this church for a number of years. His brother and sister had no connection to church or to God whatsoever. Not at all. And so his sister came in and she looked around and she was shocked by the number of chairs. I can't believe there's this many chairs in here. Wow, I didn't didn't know church could be this big. Oh, wow. I didn't know people really did the church thing anymore. I said, well, church is, it's important in people's lives. Well, it's not that important in that many people's lives. I said, well, it is. She said, well, like how many churches are there? I said, well, it kind of depends on how you look at it, but if you want to look at the number of churches just in our community, the number of buildings in in Detroit Lakes and kind of just the surrounding outlying areas, there's about 45 churches. And she's like, no way! No, no. And she takes off down this this aisle and she runs out and she grabs her brother. She's like, you got to come here. You got to hear what he just said. And she drags him back. Tell him. Tell them what you tell them what you told me. Now these guys are fifty and fifty-five years old, almost. So, tell them what you said. I said, well, what about the churches? How many churches are there? I said, well, there's about fifty-five or about forty-five churches in Syria. No way! Neither one of them could believe it at all. They absolutely couldn't. There are people that have no connection whatsoever. And that's because Adam and Eve sinned and God said, because of that disobedience, I have to put you out of my garden. There has to be this separation. I can't look on evil. I can't look at wickedness. And there are people to this day, 6,000 years later, that pay the price for that because they have no idea that there's even a God around. That's what we'd call the exile. That's the second step in this drama is the exile. Exile means uh, a person who's banished from their own country. They're exiled. They're, they're separated from their own country. They can't be a part of their world. And generally, it's because of, of political purposes. Sometimes it's for religious purposes. But here we see that God exiled. He banned humanity. Can you imagine how that breaks the heart of God? That this drama's been playing out and for 6,000 years he's wanted to have this close, intimate fellowship with humanity. He's wanted to walk with us. He's wanted to tell us the secrets of the universe. He's wanted us to be able to walk in that kind of closeness and that kind of fellowship. And simply because of disobedience, we are in this state of being lost. There's a curse that came on all creation. A curse between every relationship, a curse between God and humanity. And so the question comes, can that be reversed? Is there any way for that to be restored? Have you ever had a friendship that's gone south and it's gone sour and it's gone so sour, so bad that there's no way it can be restored? There's just like no way. I, I don't, there's no way. I haven't talked to Johnny in 14 years. I'm not going to talk to him again for another 40, I hope. I haven't talked to Sue. She, she, we, had, we got in a fight. I've, never, I've seen brothers and sisters who have not talked to each other, in particular after a parent dies. There's all kinds of trauma and drama going on. A parent dies. They got mom and dad's goods in front of them, and, and son number one took advantage of son number two, took advantage of son number three, and now they hate each other. I've had funerals. I've had funerals where we've had fights in the parking lot. At a funeral, two grandsons 
fistfights out in the parking lot. I've been at funerals where I've had to have police come in. I've had to have a, a lady sit here and five or six ladies around her to keep her from going crazy on this person over here. And I've had to have police come in during the funeral. Is that God's heart for us to have fellowship? God's heart's absolutely broken that we would do that, that we would live that way. And there are people all around us who have no idea that God is really, really, that he really exists. And, and did the devil win then? Can humanity be restored to God? Can relationships be restored? Can these, these relationships that have been fractured since the fall of man, can there, is there any hope for them? Or did Satan win? Did he totally subvert God's plan? That's the exile. That's the separation from God. And if you read the Bible in such a way where you just pick it up and you open it up, I know people who said, well, you know, when I want to read the Bible, I just set it on the table and I, I open it up and put my finger down and that's where I started reading. That's cool, as long as you don't begin with Judas hung himself. And you do likewise. <laughs> Is that really the way God intended Scripture to be read? No, no, that's not it at all. He wrote us a letter. So I, after I became a Christian, I was uh, 17 years old when I accepted Christ. And I had done plenty of garbage in my life. I was, was raised in a Catholic church. So I kind of had this judgmental attitude that I was bad and I did all kinds of bad things. But man alive, I, I'm better than these guys. You know, so I kind of thought that maybe God graded on a bell curve. You know, like I didn't have to be really good because, you know, I didn't need an A. I didn't have to be the top. But if I wasn't a D or an F, I was okay. Like somewhere at C's, they're all going to hell. And from C plus on, they're all going to heaven. I just kind of had this concept that maybe that's how God did it. I don't know. Nobody ever explained it to me. And somewhere along the line after I accepted Christ, I would hear people talk about Israel, 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 Israel. I hear all this stuff come up. We got to pray for Israel. Churches talk about praying for Israel. Some churches have Israeli flags. Some churches have, because I hear about Israel, and I kept thinking, finally, I just asked a guy. I'm working in a restaurant with this, this, he was actually an associate pastor at the time, and I said, you know, this might sound really stupid, but, what is the deal with Israel? I mean, who cares about the Jews and why should we care? And he just, he, I, I could still remember him almost like backing up like, like, like you don't know? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, do they, did they get a golden ticket when they were born? Is there a special stamp in there? They got something that I don't have? I mean, what's the deal? And as we look at this drama of the Bible, as we look at how this all unfolds, we see that God did have a special plan for, for Israel, and it started with one man. It started with a man whose name was Abram. And Abram was a man who chose to follow God. He came from the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. And so Abram, God appeared to him, and God just asked him, will, will you follow me, is basically what we're going to boil it down to. Will you follow me? And Abraham finally said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abraham, Abram at this time, go from your country, from your people, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is where it begins, gentlemen. Ladies, I want to explain this throughout all of history. This is why men don't ask for directions when we're traveling. Abraham did not say, do I take a left? Do I take a right? He didn't say that. 
So when you're lost and your wife says, do you know where you are? You can just say, I'm going to follow after Abram and follow after God, and I'm just going to go where God tells me. <clears throat> and we'll make it to grandma's in about four more hours. Your people in your father's house go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Here's what happens. Because there's disobedience throughout the land, because God's people are now exiled. They're separated from God. God exists, but people don't really know about it. He, he makes himself known at different points throughout history. But here he appears to Abram, and he said, if you will follow me, instead of trying to restore this, what he actually does, instead of just trying to focus on this one little people group, he actually makes a new people group. He said, if you will follow me, I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So God doesn't just try to focus down and correct one, one, one group of people. Oh, you know what, I'll, I'll take the Americans, or I'll take the, the Irish, or I'll take the, the, the Germans, or I'll take the... That's not how he does it. He takes one man who's willing to walk in obedience to God, and God says, I will make a covenant with you. I will make it a contract, deeper than a contract. I will make an agreement with you, and if you will follow me and you'll walk in obedience, I will restore this relationship that I had back in the very beginning. And so Abraham attempts that. Here's the problem. Abraham fails over and over again. I, I, I come from the, the town of Hibbing. Hibbing is a small town of 21,000 people. Um, at its peak, it's probably down to 14 or 15,000 now. Um, but Hibbing was named after Frank Hibbing. Frank Hibbing was a, a, an explorer who came and he found iron ore in, in Hibbing. And so he set up mining and got that all established and he was he was such a, a revered man a, a well-established man in the community that they named the town after him it's Hibbing we have a place in town called Frank Hibbing Park Israel's the same way Abraham Abraham had his three sons and then his sons had sons and one of their sons uh, name was Jacob and God had a had a, a a time with him and he ended up renaming him Israel and so when we look at Israel today, we need to understand that God created an entire nation, but he created them for a purpose. He gave them a mission. He said, I want them. It'd be like, it'd be like me coming and just, just grabbing Jeremy out of the audience. Like, Man, I got a plan for you, okay? I got a plan for you. I, I, I know what everybody else is doing, but I want you to live life different. Okay? I don't want you to live it the same way that everybody else is. You just listen to me. You just follow my direction. I will walk you through life. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Here, here's the deal. I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a multimillionaire. If you'll just follow all my, my plans, step by step by step by step, I'm going to hand choose you to take over my entire empire. Would you do that? Would you do that? <laughs> it's not worth millions of dollars to follow me? Somebody else want a chance? It's kind of what happened with Israel. God gives them the perfect option. He said, I want to I train you. I want to show you how this life is supposed to be. Instead of, instead of getting angry at your neighbors and, and uh, uh, having a battle with them, I want you to forgive them. I want you to walk in peace. I want you to do all these things. And, and, and Israel could not do it. We find throughout the Old Testament 17 times 
where Israel is following after God, they're following after God, they're following after God, and then all of a sudden they get really comfortable because God's blessing them. And it's like, ah, you know what? We don't really need God so much anymore. I think I'm just going to go and hang out with my buds instead of hanging out with God, and life's going to be cool. And the next thing you know, they end up in bondage again. They end up becoming slaves. They end up in exile. They end up lost in in the wilderness. And And somebody discovers God's books, and they go, man, this is where we're supposed to be. Let's go back. Let's call out for God. There's a whole story here. And if we read Scripture and just see Scripture as kind of like, well, you know, that's just a random piece over here and that's a random piece. No, 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 no. It all fits together. It's all part of this story of God. It's all part of this drama that God has has laid out. And so here he provides a calling to this nation, Israel. And he said, I want you to do something different. I want you to live in a different way. But God warns him. He said, if you're not faithful to this covenant, if you're not faithful to to this agreement, I'm going to have to send you away the same as I did with Adam and Eve. And that's what happened. We find at the end of this period of time, Act 3, if you will, ends tragically, really, with God absent from the world. And what happens then is because of Act 1, let's go back to Act 1 for just a minute, when Adam, uh, was, was, when Eve was tempted and the devil comes to her and says, if you will eat this fruit, then you're going to become just like God. And so humanity, from that point on, has tried to make their own God. Every time we're separated from God, we try to make other things fill us up. Other things kind of, they, they surround our life and our world, and I'm really happy, really happy when I got 2,000 bucks in my pocket and I'm driving a new truck, and then I'm really happy when all that, and how many of you know, you're usually only happy with a new truck until the tires get dirty. It's like, well, try me. I try you. I'll just tell you. It doesn't make any difference. You can move into a new house. You can move into a bigger house. You can have a better car. You do keep change, 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 change all you want. If you're not fixed on the inside, that's where we're broken, see? That's where we're separated from God on the inside. If we're not fixed on the inside, then nothing on the outside is ever going to fill you up. That's the story of humanity. That's the story of the exile. And so we end up with Act 3, again, people are separated from God. There's one true God. He's chosen Israel, and yet they choose to live apart from him. You have to understand that at some point, God says, I am going to bring justice back. I'm going to bring my spirit back. I'm going to come back, and we're going to do this thing right. I want to use you, but if you don't want to use me, you don't want to walk in me, you don't want to live life like I want you to, just know that I'm coming back. We just celebrated what I would call Act 4, and that's the, the victory of Jesus. That's the surprise of Jesus. God makes this promise that he's going to come back to the earth somehow, and he begins to show what this new creation looks like when he announces at the end of Israel's exile that it's not just, it's not just a physical exile. They're not just physically separated from God. They're not just emotionally separated from God, but they're spiritually separated from God. That's where we really run into the problem is, our, is we're broken inside. Our, our relationship with God is broken, and we just can't quite get a handle on it. How do I get this peace? Well, you're not going to get it any other way than in Jesus. I'm here to tell you, I don't care what drug, I don't care what drink, I don't care what you attempt, what you try, you will never find peace for your soul, you'll never find peace for your spirit until we find it in Christ. 
We were created that way. God created us that way. And so Jesus comes on the, the, the scene. And, and the religious establishment, he, first of all, they can't take the fact that he's a baby. What, are you kidding me? God's going to send a, a, a deliverer. He's going to send salvation. He's going to send all, He's going to deliver Israel. Israel is now this huge nation. And they're under uh, uh, Roman rule. They're, 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 they're slaves, basically. And, and they have to obey what Rome, Rome sets all the parameters for them. They're not exactly slaves, but Rome sets all the parameters. And Israel is thinking at this time, man, first of all, they haven't heard from God in about 400 years. The prophets have quit. They're Old Testament prophets. All these guys were coming, and then they, they just quit. And there's reasons for that. But they, they finally quit. Uh, Israel hasn't heard from God in 400 years. Let's think about that for a second. We've been a nation for 260, 270. Israel hadn't heard from God in over 400 years. And here comes Jesus. Jesus is walking around and he's saying things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He's saying things like, I'm the resurrection. He comes and he presents himself. And when we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we go, that's the story of Jesus. That's what he was like. What was God like? For 4,000 years, Israel and the world was separated from God. God was, was separate from them. And then along comes Jesus. And the devil thinks he's got to kill him again. So he, he gets to the point. This is, this is spectacular, okay? This is spectacular. You've got to grab this. Makes me want to dance. There's got to be a shuffle. There's got to be a pastor shuffle someplace that we come up with. Okay, but so the devil thinks, okay, the religious people don't recognize him at all. They don't recognize, they don't think this is good, this Jesus, he's, we've got to kill him, we've got to get rid of him because he's taking all the power away from their rules and their regulations. He's just telling people they're free. He's healing people. He's touching them. They're getting set free. They're getting delivered. I mean, demons are leaving. People are getting healed, the blind. He's raising the dead. Are you kidding me? And so they think, well, we've got to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of him. They don't realize that they're being driven by the same force that was speaking to Eve in the garden. They don't realize that it's the devil that's driving them. And so they finally get to the point where they're, they're going to kill him. So they take Jesus as a 33-year-old man. They have him arrested and beat and flogged and, and whipped and put on a cross. And the Bible says, cursed is any man who hangs on a cross. He became a curse for us. You see, they didn't realize what they were doing. What they, were, they were filling Scripture because Jesus didn't sin. You and I sin. There's a reason for us to get punished. Right? Okay. You know it. Speed limit's 30, and you're doing 50. You don't get to say, well, I don't, know, I don't do nothing. Yes, you did. You broke the law. As a matter of fact, if the speed limit's 30, technically at 31, you broke the law. Well, nobody's ever going to give me a ticket for that. Well, they could. They could. They got the right to. Jesus, however, had no sin in his life. 
The punishment, the Bible says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God except Jesus. And the punishment for sin is death. But the devil came and he had, Satan, he, Satan had Jesus crucified, had him put on a cross. He's kind of sitting in the background going, <laughs> I got rid of him again. I mean, we got him out of the garden now. You ought to look at that, man. Look, what a good day. What he didn't realize was that God is a just God. And he took Jesus illegally because he didn't sin. And if he didn't sin, then death was not his punishment. He shouldn't have had any punishment. And so God publicly declares victory over this whole situation by reversing the course of action, and he brings Jesus back to life. Just think about it. Think about it like... Everybody else from here, from here before and pretty much since has died and stayed dead. Buddha, dead. Muhammad, dead. Hare Krishna, dead, 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 dead. They're all dead. They're dead. They're coming back. But God says, you know what? You did that wrong, and I'm going to declare victory, and here's how I'm going to de- declare victory. Come on back to life, son and he raises him back to life. He raises him back to life. And now, not only does he do that, not only does he do that, but he doesn't hide him off in the corner. He's like, hey, I want you to go and have supper with these two guys over here. I want you to go and have dinner with those people. I want you to sit down and have a conversation with these people. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people record seeing Jesus after he was dead, buried, crucified, put in the ground, dead for four days, gone. Surely he stinks three days. He's done, gone, done with. And yet he comes back to life. So I don't know how you could believe that. Right here. In the beginning, this was the beginning. That's how I believe it. Not only that, I've experienced that life in my life. I know it's true. I know what it means to be forgiven. I know what it means to be a sinner, ready to head for hell. I know what that's like. But I also know what it means to be forgiven, set free, changed, new man. In Jesus, matter of fact, that's what Romans says in chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, the gift of righteousness, reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? Adam brought death. Jesus brought life. And it was a surprise victory. The devil had no idea. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about about. Uh, uh, Jesus having this open triumphal victory and there's some things that went on used to go on in the history of of war and battles where basically if one king was was uh, defeated by another king then the, the victor would take the the king that he defeated strip him naked march him through his own town there you go Jesus triumphed openly all of heaven all of heaven knows about this victory All the demons know about this victory. The problem is you and I don't know about it. But it's written in God's word. It's here. So now there's this this new, renewed people. God, again, has chosen this victory. And we find that you'd say, well, okay, if God won this battle, how come we're even going to talk about the next scene? Because we were separated for 4,000 years. People haven't believed for a long, long time. And now God wants everybody to know about this victory. There are times when I look at my day or I look at my week and I say, God, you know, you could take me today. It would be okay. 
I'll just drive down the road if I happen to have a heart attack when nobody else. It's okay, God. I mean, you know, I just, I don't want the chaos of this week. I don't want it. And then I get an opportunity to sit in my office and to pray with someone and lead them to Christ. And I go, you know what, God, this is what it's all about. More than anything, that's why you still got us here. That's why God still has you here. If his end goal was just heaven, as soon as you said, I accept Jesus, you'd be gone. That's not his goal. His goal is he wants you to live a life that is so dynamically different that people look at you and they go, there has to be something. That Randy is one strange cat. We're not really sure what it is. Not just because he's bald, because if it was bald that got him to heaven, we could all go bald. Some of us are going there regardless. But it's because he's got life inside of him. And that's the mission. The mission is for us to live out the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. God has gathered people from all over the world and he's formed them into these little assemblies. We call them ecclesias. And it's these little groups that are called the church. They're a community of people who've pledged their life to Jesus. They've crossed from this old way like Jesus into this new life like Jesus. There's, there's been a change in their life. And they demonstrate God's love across all kinds of boundaries. They demonstrate God's love across race and across class and across tribe and across nation and across family and across workforce and across all kinds of things. We, we, we're, called, we're called to demonstrate God's love. That's who, what he's called us for. That's why he's left us here. He wants to restore this world. And the only way he's going to do it is through you and me. That's it. That's us. They is we. The challenge that confronts us is, will we do it? Will we fit into the story that God has written for us? Will we accept this challenge? Will we move now? Am I willing to say to that person who's really hurting, can I pray with you, man? Can I just talk to you about the Lord? Can I tell you that there's still hope? Are you open for that? Most people in some... I've had people tell me no, but it's been very, very rare. Most people will say, I need hope, man, tell me something. I want to talk to you about the loved one that's sick. I want to talk to you about that person that's dying. I want to talk to you about... It's easy to run, but that's not what God... God hasn't called us to be runners. He's called us to stand up for him. He's called us to take a stand. Because here's the deal, Act 6... The resolution, the great resolution is this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. The Bible says there's going to be a day when he puts one foot on the Mount of Olives and that mountain splits. I'm not sure I believe in that kind of a God. It ain't going to make any difference. Someday you're going to believe. The Bible says every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Someday he is coming back. And the resolution is you and I have an opportunity to help usher that in and to bring people into relationship with God as we go. When we look more like Christ, you know that the Bible says 17 times that you and I are created in the image of God. Really? No, 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 not that way. We're created in this image. We are dispensers of hope, dispensers of life, dispensers of peace. You and I have that ability within us, and yet we get so wrapped up in our own garbage sometimes that we forget the rest of the plot. There's more of a plot going on. Back up. Say, okay, Lord, it's not so much about my life. What are you doing across the board? Where am I at? Where do I fit in this thing? 
we'll get so wrapped up sometimes in our story that we totally forget that God is using. You know, I'm going to say it. I'm going to go there. We get so wrapped up in our story, we forget that it ain't about us. It is not about us. Right? God's got a bigger plan. All you want. God still has a bigger plan. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you to bring hope and life and peace and joy. Isn't that a hallelujah moment? That is. God wants to use us. The final act is coming. We're not there yet. The Bible says he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. Let me read you one more passage of Scripture as we close. John, Jesus, one of his closest disciples, is inner three. John writes this in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. We heard that before, didn't we? In the beginning. That started in the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, the word was, and through him all things were made through the word, and without him nothing was made that has been made without the word. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and that light shines in the darkness, and that darkness could not overcome it, could not does not, has not, will not, could not, cannot, is not going to overcome it. Darkness is not going to overcome the Word. The Word is Jesus. We read down just a few verses later. He, the Word, came and made His dwelling among us. God wants to dwell with you. As we look at this new year, this new season, this new day, I'm telling you, grab a hold of the truth of this. I'm asking us, I'm challenging us to take and in 40 days read through this Bible, 40 days, you can read through the New Testament. Take you about 15 minutes today. There's a reading program in the beginning. You say, Pastor, what's the big deal? The big deal is if you get this life down inside you, it's going to change the way you think. This is a picture of who Jesus is. This is a picture of what he looks like. You want to know how he behaves, you better read some books that tell you, I don't like reading books. Read it. Too bad. It's the Bible. This is the instruction manual. This is where we get it. Well, I don't like it. There, we do have an option. We'll send you out a, a text. You can go online. You can listen to it. Matter of fact, I'd tell you to listen to it while you got it open and read it. Get it coming out. Read it. Get it in you. Get it in you. Get it in you. There's Even we give you a map in the very front page. There's a map that tells you what page you want to get this done in eight weeks, five days a week, 15 minutes a day. You just read from page one to page two. 12, you read from page 13 to page 24, you read from page 25 onto just, you know, I don't know, I've never done that. Do it. Do it. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It will change your life because it's God's word. Not because it's me, not because we're doing it. And you can have a conversation with anybody in church going, hey, what do you think of page 17, huh? Huh? About halfway down page 17. Do it. Challenge people. I'm challenging you. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm running late. Two weeks in a row. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you that there's this picture of humanity that we see. The Bible is not some random thoughts that are thrown together. It's a, it's a script. It's, it's a whole picture of humanity. It's how you created us. It's how you want us to work. You want us to walk in fellowship with you. You created us to walk in fellowship with you. God, I just pray your life over each person here. I pray we'd grab the truth of your word. I pray we'd walk in that truth. I pray, God, that when we would want to let our attitude rise up. We get our attitude in check by your word. That's how we know. That's how we know. 
It's, it's not, does, this doesn't fall in line. If I got an attitude towards somebody, this doesn't fall in line with God's word. That's how I know it's, it's, it comes out of your word. God, I pray that you'd bring life. Help us to walk in this truth every day. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. If you're a really bad reader, it's a half an hour a day. Take that time. God, give us, speak to your people as we open up your word and we look at it together. In Jesus' name. We have a video. Wow, Jesus, thank you, because that was not me. Play that video real quick, because we got to get out of here. People are going to think we like church. We do? It's hard to believe that a quarter of the entire New Testament was written to one person, a first-century Roman official named Theophilus. Theophilus became a follower of Jesus at perhaps the worst possible time. The Roman government, who he depended on for his livelihood, was turning against the burgeoning Christian community. Meanwhile, some Jewish followers of Jesus were questioning whether non-Jewish believers like Theophilus really belonged. Theophilus urgently needed answers. Was there a place for him in Jesus' kingdom or not? And was the story he'd been told too good to be true? Theophilus turned to a friend named Luke, a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Luke's reply came in the form of a two-part series, the books we now know as Luke and Acts. Luke assured his friend that everything he'd heard about Jesus was true and worth believing in, no matter what it might cost. And yes, this story really was for him too. Jesus came not just for his own people, the Jews, but to announce a kingdom for all people. Old barriers, like the one between Jews and Gentiles, were being torn down. Luke's first volume tells the story of Jesus' life, answering the question, is he the king of the Jews? or the savior of the world, with an emphatic yes. In the words of one elderly prophet who meets the infant Jesus in the Jewish temple, this child is destined to be the glory of his own people and salvation for all people. As the story progresses, the adult Jesus moves decisively toward Jerusalem, the center of Jewish life, where eventually he is betrayed and executed. Along the way, he attracts a host of unlikely followers, outsiders and outcasts, the poor, the sick, those widely viewed as unworthy or less than. Even more astonishing is Jesus' reaction. He talks to them. He embraces them. He invites them into his kingdom. You can imagine how reassuring this was to Theophilus. According to Luke, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his closest followers and told them, there is forgiveness for all who repent. The disciples were to carry this good news of God's kingdom to all the nations. And that's how a book originally written for one person became a story for all of us. Luke and Acts were written to a man whose name was Theophilus, who had questions. If you have questions about Jesus, go ahead. I challenge you. Read through Luke. Read through Acts and just see if he's not real. 
Have yourself a great week. God bless you. And uh, immerse yourself in God's word this week.